Friday. It is a Friday today. I don't know what day it'll be for the people listening to this. Oh yeah, that's true. But it's Friday right now. Welcome back to the, the what would you just call it? The Colt Popcast? <laughs> no, you called it something else. The Cup of Cupcast. The Copernicus The Copernicus Cast. We do not like the name all that much. But I kind of love how... What it's become? Yeah, it's it's become something because of what it was. For sure. <laughs> it's become something far beyond we Yeah, have. I like it as a like a like an idea. Like when I hear the words... As an ideal? When I hear the words, I go, oh, that's this thing. Because we have created this thing now that it exists. But I also still hate the name. Like I wish it would have been... We had other options. Like, no, but it's not the end of the world, you know. It was like a... Let's rebrand right now. <laughs> Do you, I, I don't know what to call it. I still don't know what to call it. <laughs> I've thought about it often. The obviously. Stephen and Gabe Power Hour. The pop. I think our name's holding us back. <laughs> I really do. I don't think so. I mean, Because there's a really popular podcast called The Popcast. It's a pop culture podcast called The Popcast. And we're the cult popcast. We're very culty. Okay, we, well, we threw the word cult in there. To bring out all the religious zealots. <laughs> And the crazies. I mean, basically. And we fostered a fantastic community. The people. <laughs> we should start a convention. It would be all the, the pulp. about 18 people that listen to our <laughs> podcast coming together and watching us perform live. Could you imagine? <laughs> rent out a bar somewhere. And we could definitely rent out a theater and watch Interstellar. Yes. Which is ultimately the goal. That's why we started this That's podcast. The yeah. We started this podcast to get a following of people who want to watch Interstellar in the theater so we could rent out a theater and we watch it. We could do it for cheap. On the big screen again. Yeah. What are we doing today? Today we're doing the new hot Netflix superhero show, Jupiter's Legacy. Jupiter's Legacy. Based off of the... Mark Miller. Mark Miller comic. Comic. It was like 2013, I think. Yeah. Let's, Circa. I mean, let's say it was, you know... Pretty recent. The tw- it's a classic 21st century comic <laughs> at this point. Pretty short run, I True. think. True. Only had about 10 issues. But it looks like Netflix wants to make this one of their major franchises to combat, you know, Marvel, I guess. They're like, we want a piece of the superhero pie. Well, they've already been kind of dipping their toes in that. But they're doing it like in the way that the kind of the more obscure superhero stuff, like Umbrella Academy. Yeah. And now they have this. And then they did all the stuff for Defenders, like Daredevil, oh, yeah. Iron Fist, there were those. Luke Cage, but those and were incredibly Jess- uh, Jessica Jones. grounded compared to Jupiter's and Umbrella Academy. Punisher. Yeah, they were grounded, but I think they've always been trying to kind of dip their toes in the more ancillary stuff that's kind of just different storytelling. I think it's a good game plan. It is. I mean, because the market for superheroes can be so saturated, and I think... Some say that it is. (laughs) I don't think it is because I think there's enough stories to tell personally. There's a lot of characters that people love and they can tell those stories. So people want to see those characters brought to life. That's kind of what I'm saying. And then with a character like Spider-Man, for instance, people, they don't just love Spider-Man. They love all of his rogue gallery of villains. So they want to see all those villains brought to life too in a good way. That's not kind of an abomination to the namesake of that villain. So what Netflix is doing with jupiter's legacy and umbrella academy they're adapting comics that are doing something different than the common comic book tropes and character stories and so forth put a classic spin on the superman story so in this case with jupiter's legacy the story i found really interesting it focused less on the battles and 
the flashy kind of effects and CG and stuff and um, focus more on kind of the in-between periods where the characters are talking about their ethics and morals and where they've been and where they are now and whether they are still relevant as heroes and how their kids that all have powers are going to carry on their name in the new generation. And I really, really liked that angle because I thought the writing was really smart when they got to those scenes and how they really brought into question the difference with how ethics plays differently today than it would have like a hundred years ago. So are the same ethics that were around a hundred years ago and how people treated each other back in say the great depression era, the same as the way that people should be treated today. And I thought that that was like a very interesting question that they were posing. And then also talking about family of origin and you're not only focusing on these characters who have been around for a while with powers, but you're focusing on their kids and how the dogmatism of their code of conduct and how they raise their kids to try to believe the same thing has affected them into their adult life. Just really fascinating questions. I think that most people can relate to because especially younger generations, I think, dealing with a lot of the stuff that they were handed from their parents. So I found that stuff to be very compelling. And then I'll let Gabe tell you the other best part of the show. I'm not too crazy on the coming of age generational conflict of the family drama angle, but shocker yeah i thought it i thought it did it really well i liked a lot of the quiet conversations that they had with each other like the father and the daughter or the father and his therapist was always very interesting right uh and there's different levels of why that is as you come to learn with the characters as you learn more about them but yeah like you said it's it's a story of how the times are changing and interesting to view that through a superhero lens because the face of evil has changed you know 90 years ago it was fine to throw a bank robber in jail and now you're dealing with all new villains in a in a literal and a metaphorical sense and mm-hmm. you know you have things like social media and how that plays into it all this new dynamic that you have to update your your code of ethics and uh, your way of dealing with evil because the world's changed and if you don't change and evolve with it you'll you'll be left behind yeah and in some cases you might die <laughs> <laughs> true but but yeah there was that half of the show and then there was another half of it which was a sort of an origin story for these heroes and it had a very Lovecraftian vibe which is how Steven initially sold me on the show because he he was like you'll enjoy this because you like mysteries and existential questions and uh so yeah there was they were cutting back and forth between present day modern family melodrama and superhero stuff with this origin story from the 1920s and 1930s where during the great depression these Heroes are sent on a quest, and that strange labyrinthian Odyssean quest is what bestows them with their gifts, essentially. Yeah, and and how they get sent on their quest is essentially by a crazy person who is seeing his dead father haunt him. And this part of the show is my favorite part. I think it is your favorite part, too. It's the reason I think the show is good. And if they focus more on that, I think it'll be good going forward if they uh, are greenlit for more seasons but yeah a lot of the more compelling parts of that were the main character who essentially is going crazy or at least he thinks he's crazy everyone thinks he's crazy and you know why they follow him and how they follow him and find out about how crazy he actually is and kind of unraveling this mystery of what he's seeing was was done really well i thought and all the characters in that era were awesome too they were 
cooler characters than than the characters in the present day. I thought. Yeah, it, it more uh, interesting. Yeah, well, they were mostly the same characters, but it was just yeah, but they were just they were portrayed differently because they were younger, and so yeah, you know, not, not yet superheroes. Yeah, there was more of a humanity, I think, in that way. And some of the characters you don't see in the modern day timeline. Yeah, there's a lot of unresolved history, ninety years worth of stories to tell if this show keeps going, and that's just. You know, not even looking forward from the modern timeline, yeah. stuff that can happen there. Yeah. But I'm curious to see what they do because I think it was such a short run comic that the writers and the showrunners really have a chance to create something of their own here. Yeah. And like you said, I think you mentioned before when we were talking about it, the money will only, the production value will only increase from here on out, like The Witcher and like these other Netflix properties. Yeah. And I think if it does, like I said, I think it'll help the show a lot. Yeah. Because one of the main weaknesses was that it had a very CW look to a lot of what was happening, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> CW's shows are looking great these days, to be honest. But it's hard when certain, you have... Certain parts of it. It's hard when you have Marvel and, uh, well, what was Zack Snyder's uh, DC Universe. <laughs> Rest in peace. You had such a high level of production value. Zack Snyder's not dead. <laughs> well, his, his universe is but dead. But his universe is dead. Yeah, for now. As far as we know. We'll see what happens. But that just got me accustomed to a level of quality that it's hard to see some of these effects. And some of it was good. Uh, the first episode was rough. and Yeah. Everyone I've <laughs> talked to, we brought him on here before, but Scott Hendricks just messaged me. He's like, I watched the first episode. I don't think I'm going to keep watching. Yeah. And I said, you haven't even seen the best stuff yet, but it's totally up to you. In, in many ways, it gets noticeably better after the first episode, which is such a bizarre thing when that happens but it, it is the case here yeah but it had enough to keep me watching and i was very skeptical both before watching the show and during it during because <laughs> um, not not a lot of the characters some of the writing didn't work for me there are moments of brilliance in this show and there are moments of kind of eye-rolling cliches and tropes which you know it comes with the territory of doing a superhero story and a coming-of-age story you know when you're working in those genres and Mm-hmm. types of narratives it's very hard to break out of those yeah i really liked josh Dehumal. i think it's josh Dehumal. <laughs> i heard someone say dumel and that sounded well if you were gonna say yeah josh Dumal. dumel dumel um then i really liked him as the main character i generally wouldn't have thought that i would have liked him dude was jacked for this by the way he like could be like a superman i mean he essentially is in this show yeah but Sexy he jesus he looked very attractive but him having kind of this or playing this uh kind of worn essentially he kind of plays the innocent character in the same sense that like superman is innocent where he has these lofty ethical ideals often naive yeah and josh jumal plays that very well and he did a killer job playing kind of the crazy person in the past and i really enjoyed the scenes where he was talking about his personal beliefs and how he wanted them to still be applied to today's day and age. Him talking about how they would allow things like 9-11 and the death of Kennedy and stuff, and mm-hmm. they wouldn't stop those things intentionally because it was part of their code to not intervene and... and not to govern, not to kill. be a god. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No governing, no killing. And that sort of 
dogmatic belief is I'm interpreting it this way, but it's a lot of what the boomer generation, I think, and how they were brought up sort of still believe to this day. And then you have the opposite side of what the generation is saying now. And I know that doesn't interest you as much, but I really thought that some of those scenes were super well written, particularly the episode four, where he's talking to that therapist that he has history with. Yeah, I like that angle as well. It's just sometimes it was more clever and sometimes it was pretty on the nose. And there were moments in the show, like I mentioned, there's a scene where earlier in the show, the son has done something that conflicts with the father's code. And this policeman just walks up and he, he's like, yeah, we should just kill all the villains. And it was kind of like some of it, some of it's pretty heavy handed in the social commentary, but it's good to, it feels like it's the easy, it's the low hanging fruit, you know, to just, mm. it's easy to, uh, interesting, not bandwagon, and, right, right, right. you know, but a similar Kind of to how, like, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier did that, you know? Yeah, that's a great comparison. There are just moments where it's very not subtle. (laughs) Yeah. But there are other scenes where it's very interesting, the conversation they're having. Yeah. Do you think that necessarily makes it bad, though? I mean, in your mind? I know we, as, like, critics, have high standards. Uh, So, So things could always be not great if it's it is too on the nose and the mystery kind of that idea of writing like a kind of like a Denny Villeneuve like a rival sort of mystery where you don't really know it's keeping you on your toes and it's written so well that it never is too revealing and that's what makes the movie so excellent but like when something is on the nose I don't necessarily think it makes it bad it just doesn't make it as good as a movie like Arrival or something like that you know uh I would agree I would also say it's unique to the person I I think it's subjective in the way because we're we're pretty up and up on a lot of what's going on as we're doing a podcast on pop culture you yeah. know, and a lot of the social things that have been happening. And so I think writing is bad, in my opinion, when it takes you out of the story and when it kind of disrupts your immersion. Mm. And so what, what does that for me is like meta references, you know, unless it's like Deadpool where the whole story is revolving around that mm. uh, pop culture references, which this show had a few. Um, or in this case, where it's like the social commentary is so on the nose that it's literally like the policeman is, is, right. is yeah. you know. No, I see what you're saying. So that it really just takes me out of it. And yeah. I think for me, that that's why I would say the writing, specifically the dialogue as well, in my opinion, suffered in, in some points. And I would say the writing, the quality of it kind of dipped and rose yeah throughout the show so the subjectivity comes into play when you're following something you're kind of vibing and grooving with it and then the writing or the dialogue or a character does something or says something that takes you out of the immersion into that thing so you can't get lost in it anymore but the subjectivity comes into play because some people's immersion and you know attention span or whatever it may be would be on a different scale from like another person's yeah I think so. But also I think there's a level of objectivity to it because you know, the classic film mantra, right, is show, don't tell. Mm. And so you have yeah, lines throughout series like this or Winter Soldier where it's like instead of seeing these things play out, they're just straight up Same telling us. Yeah. And I don't know. There are just there were a few times where I noticed that where it, it I wouldn't say the show as a whole suffered from that but it's just moments there it keeps taking me out of what i'm watching yeah no that's true and i like that perspective ultimately i agree with that perspective with that mantra of show don't tell most of the most favorite things that we would probably agree on uh show and do not tell much like denny Villeneuve and his movies yeah, there's there's a lot going on under the surface in right. his films <laughs> right. just as an example or like the show dark you know i think about that 
Yeah, extre- which, very complex themes, and it's very, even though it did have to tell it at times because you know you there's a lot of really, exposition. Yeah, you wouldn't really know what was going on, but it did try, I think, to show more than it did tell. And when you're when you've got a lot of world building to do in in a short amount of time, I don't begrudge uh, a piece of fiction for doing that. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was a lot of history they had to just kind of run through in this series because we're telling a story that is 90 years. Yeah, in that span. Yeah, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe my standards are just very lofty uh, because we've had a lot of quality productions yeah. in the last few years in and outside of the superhero genre. Right. I see you. I, I think ultimately I agree with you. Specifically with Miller and his comics. Yeah. So if you're unfamiliar with Miller, Mark Miller, a couple other uh, motion picture ventures that have been adapted from his comics have been Kick-Ass 1 and 2 and The Kingsman which the comics are called The Secret Service, but The Kingsman uh, and those comic books. And then now Jupiter's Legacy, and then Netflix has struck a deal with Mark Miller for a lot more of his comic books to be adapted. The next one on the block is called Super Crooks. That's another one of his comic books, which is essentially a bunch of villains that are essentially like a a super-powered villain heist story. And then um, there's also a few more in the works from him because he's written so many good things. And uh, Stephen S. DeKnight was the showrunner, and he did Daredevil season one, which was, for all intents and purposes, at least for the time, is pretty incredible. I mean, I'd be interested to go back and watch it now, but I remember it being very, very good. Yeah. And uh, he's had some swings and a misses. Some of each. Yeah. Um, but I think he has the capability to be very good. And I think that's why they brought him in for this show. And this show as a whole, I thought was very good. It was very interesting. Um, as long as you push past the first episode, (laughs) (laughs) all just the, the stuff that wasn't as good, the kind of the fluff, the on the nose writing, the CG and the, the effects, the graphics. So yeah, I think underneath, this is what I hope is that would they really lean into, a better budget and graphics for season two and that it just gets better. If it does, it could make for a really good season two because it, it did kind of leave on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Big sequel baiting. <laughs> I think there were more questions than answers by the end of the last episode. Huh, that's true. And uh, I think that was smart too. I think that even uh, says something about the, the swing of the culture right now. We've already seen the season of television that gets resolved by the end and everything's sort of happy and then has like one big hook at the end. We've seen that many, many times. This just kind of, the whole last episode ends with, oh, and here's a thing you didn't know, and here's another thing you didn't know, and here's a couple more things you didn't know, and it's over. And that's what shows have been doing lately because they want people to come back to watch a whole other season of this. Yeah, I'm not crazy about that style, but it is what it is. Yeah. It'll it'll hold you over until Loki comes on <laughs> in June. <laughs> True. <laughs> that I'm excited for. Thanks, Gabe, for being here. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> well, as mysteriously <laughs> as it came. <laughs> and it was mysterious the way it came. Gosh, we're recording this probably two and a half weeks later after we recorded the episode. Pop culture works. A week might as well be a month. Anyway, you could hear in this episode how we were talking about like the the quality of the show and then the weaknesses of the show as well. And so mm-hmm. you can sort of understand what happened to the show and why Netflix decided to cancel it. 
Yeah. I was hoping for more, but it is almost an interesting subject to talk about for a second because... A case study. <laughs> yeah, a case study. That's what I was trying to find. Uh, because Netflix keeps introducing stories and then cancels them and then those stories never get resolved and DOA. I feel like that may catch up with them at some point. What do you think? If you mean indirectly that they will like no one's ever going to hold them accountable uh, directly for canceling a show. I mean, not in the way that like the fans will be able to rise up and resurrect one of these dead shows because most of the shows they cancel, whether they were very good, you know, like the, we like to talk about season two of the OA and the Mm -hmm. intense, small, very small cult following that it had. Yeah. Spectrum of that to Jupiter's legacy, which was, which was good. It was fine, but it wasn't, it didn't have a something like really special about it, I think, compared to like hmm. its contemporaries. But in that spectrum, anytime Netflix cancels a show, I don't think there's going to be anything that's going to bite them in the ass immediately. But I think it'd there be, it'd be kind of cool. I think if people rose up and started saying Netflix stop introducing us to stories and then taking them away from us, like that kind of thing, or right? like hashtag Netflix stop stealing our stories, like that kind of thing. Well, that's why I was going to say I do think it's possible in the long run that these honestly shitty business practices will probably yeah. will probably come back to haunt them because I don't know what the market share looks like. I don't really keep up on the numbers and the percentages, but I do think that we've seen these other streaming sites and platforms surge significantly in the last five to 10 years compared to Netflix. And I think one of those reasons might be Netflix's you know, business model of giving everyone money and then very few the chance to see their vision through. Mm -hmm. So you'll have slow starts like Jupiter's Legacy or the OA season one. And then we'll never know what season two of Jupiter's Legacy could have been like. It could have been like the OA season two, where it just absolutely blew our minds Mm -hmm. with how good it could have been. Yeah, totally. Because there was a foundation, but Netflix just didn't give them time. So... yep. And I, we can't speak as CEOs of the company in terms of the viability of doing that for all of their shows, you know, because it is a lot. Netflix churns out a ton of original content now or content they would claim as their own, right? Yeah. So, but from, from a viewer's perspective, it's hard to see some of your favorite shows bite the dirt or dead the dust, take the ax. Bite the dust. Kick the bucket. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to note because it seems like these streaming services who are essentially the new networks don't know how to handle television because Mm -hmm. networks used to green light pilots and they would record one pilot episode and then the network would decide whether to order another five making it six and then after those six episodes the network would then decide to extend the season to about 20 to 22 episodes or cancel it after six episodes that's how networks always handled television and now with these streaming service channels, it's almost like they're just greenlighting eight episodes from the start. And then instead of canceling them and screening them and testing them before it actually hits the public, they're testing them with the actual public. And then they just cancel the show after the first season if it doesn't work out, which is so crazy to me <laughs> that that's where we are right now. And anyway, R.I.P. Jupiter's Legacy. <laughs> yeah. I'm not super sad to see you go, but, but you know, you, you were fun. Well, yeah, R.I.P. Jupiter's Legacy. Best of luck, Josh Jamal. I liked you in this show. 
Yeah, I feel for him in the cast because they were. Josh Jumal, I think you would make a great Hal Jordan. Just saying. If they ever bring back Hal Jordan as Green Lantern, I think you would make a great Hal Jordan. Yeah. It's getting old, though. I, I think that would only work out in the favor of Hal Jordan. Oh, really? Yeah, make him less like Ryan Reynolds and make him like the seasoned. Oh, so not an origin story. Human Green Lantern. No, because Hal Jordan's always been like the pillar of the human lanterns, the Green Lanterns. Yeah, I can get behind that. I can get behind you, Josh. He's a handsome man. <laughs> <laughs>